All right. For those of you uh, that don't know me, uh, I am a pastor, 37 years, and uh, so I'm assuming, I'm, I'm assuming maybe I might have been uh, Gordon's first pick, but I don't know. I could have been in the seventh text, you know. I don't, I don't know. You, you can determine that later, but ne- nevertheless, uh, I'm really glad to be here, and obviously there's always something fresh that God is showing me, and I'm always eager to share His Word. And if it's not uh, too sacrilegious for you, like I, I want to try to at least attempt to weave a very familiar Christmas story uh, in, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. If you didn't notice, I have a couple of props up here. I'm a collector of Grinch uh, Christmas tree ornaments. I, I, have, I have them lined up in my office all year long. People get confused. I'm like, I, I love the I love the character. I love the story. I think it's a gospel story, and I, I just want to kind of use it as a springboard to get us to really the heart of, uh, of Christmas. And the other thing is, I have four adult kids. I have seven grandkids, uh, ranging from eight months old to eight years old. So here's the deal. I'm, I'm totally into Christmas, man. We're we're dialed in. We're ready. We're ready. We got everything out. We've got the Advent uh, calendar, and we got this thing where the grandkids come over and they get to open the box, and there's incentivized by candy and stuff. But then I got to read a Bible verse. That's part of the deal, and that's really really fun. And then, how many of you, Elfie? Is there an Elfie in your house? I don't. Okay, you guys are more spiritual in my house. I, I don't know. Elfie makes his move every day somewhere in the house, and the grandkids are excited about coming and finding him. But I can tell that that might be more exciting to me than to you. But for those of you that don't know, I want to give you a little backstory. How many of you enjoy watching How the Grinch Stole Christmas kind of thing? Do you enjoy reading Dr. Zeus, Dr. Seuss's uh, books? You know, it's, it's good. It's just healthy. It's, it's good stuff for kids. And uh, the interesting thing is, a few years back, I did a little uh, homework. I did a little homework, and uh, it was kind of interesting because I, I was curious. I was curious about the author. You ever read a book and you're like, I want to know about the author. And here, here's what I found out about Theodore Zeus Geisel. That's his name. That's Dr. Seuss, a.k.a. Theodore Zeus Geisel. Uh, he was born in 1904. His father, some of this is going to be interesting, co-owned a brewery in Massachusetts. That didn't necessarily prep him for book writing, but nevertheless, he, he enjoyed trips to the zoo, drawing and teaching, uh, he went to Dartmouth College, kind of upper education, right? But uh, he got in trouble uh, for drinking moonshine during the Prohibition. I'm just saying, he was kind of, it was an interesting route to his writing uh, career. He moved into the field of writing uh, and illustrating children's books, and he, he was kind of successful at it. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 to 650 million books sold, Five. 100 to 650 million books sold in 30 languages. And how many of you read The Cat in the Hat? Cat in the Hat, all right, that's pretty standard. Like, uh, here's the thing. That obviously was a huge seller. That was kind of a breakthrough for him. But the next book that he wrote after that was How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And the interesting thing was he said it was one of the easiest books he ever wrote except for the, uh, the uh, ending. And here, I, I want to quote, here's what he said. He said, I was brushing my teeth on the morning of December 26th and noticed a very Grinchish countenance in the mirror. It was, it was Zeus. Uh, 
So I wrote about my sour friend, the Grinch, to see, to see if I could rediscover something about Christmas that I had obviously lost, that I had obviously lost. Part of it, again, here's Dr. Seuss saying, I, uh, the inspiration for how the Grinch stole Christmas was looking in the mirror at himself, okay? So he was thinking about himself when he wrote, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. You guys can just like sing along with me if you want, Mr. Grinch. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk. Mr. Grinch, do I need to go on, okay? I would call that a bad morning, okay? Looking at the mirror and all of this inspiration came to him. He said that he wrote the book in less than a week. It, like, it took him no time at all. And, and in some ways, in some ways to me that's sad. I just want you to pause and think for yourself because maybe you're never going to read the book the same way again, but I, the author was actually writing a story about himself, trying to rediscover the real meaning of Christmas. And I can tell you this, he, he, I, I don't think, I don't know this, I don't know this, but I don't think he ever got there. I don't think he ever got to the true meaning of Christmas, even though the heart of what he wrote in the story, I think, was, was maybe something about some, somewhere within him he was wanting he was wanting really the, the full heart transformation and story that we find in the book, right? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I mean, because if you think about it, the reason I've got a couple of uh, my, my Christmas ornaments here is to remind me of some moments in the story that are transformational. Some of it just has to do with the darkness of his heart, how little his heart was, how pained his heart was, how dark his heart was. And then there was that epic moment, right, on the mountaintop. You guys remember that? When the sled, uh, are you tracking with me? When the sled gets up there and all of a sudden things, things are happening, right? In, in Whoville, they say that Grinch, Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. Remember, boing, remember his heart grew? And then all of a sudden he wanted to, like, fully participate in what was happening. So some of you obviously are going, are you kidding? Did Gordon bring a guy to tell us like, like a Dr. Sue's story or what's going on here? I want, I want to just consider for a minute. Because when I read this story, and, and I, I'll read it again to my grandkids, this, we, this is part of our tradition. We love this, right? But I, I, take, some, uh, I take some liberties when I read it right? Because I want to point them to the gospel. I want to help them see what I think you can extract from the story that Dr. Zeus never got, and that is it's really about heart change. It's about heart transformation. And uh, what was true then, what was true then, and if you're going to watch it, watch the 1966 classic version, that by far. Forget the, forget the other stuff, okay? I don't know. I, I, uh, Jim Carrey, no. Okay, I know, it, it was pretty good, but you got to go back. This is old school. you got to go back to the classic version, really, to get the heart 
of the story. And maybe it's good for us to consider, you know, what is the condition of our heart today? And how, how, how has or is our heart responding to the life-transforming story of the gospel? Because even as uh, Fuego and Daniel were singing, Fuego, Daniel and Daniel, right? Fuego and Daniel were singing uh, the beautiful worship songs like leading us into the throne room of God. It was, it was my uh, sense, God, would you lead us into your throne today? Would you invite us in to your story today? Would you show us again that you have made a way where there is no way? Because that's the, that's, the that's the good news of Christmas, that God came near, right? That, that God came near. He, he left his throne room in heaven and came, he became flesh. The Word became, John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us full of grace. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. See, Jesus changed everything. When Jesus entered our space and inhabited our planet, everything changed. Everything changed. Because he made what seemed inaccessible, accessible. Uh, we've been working, uh, I've been working with uh, 35 guys. I have this little cohort, nine-month uh, discipleship cohort I do called AMP, Alpha, Alpha Male Program. I don't really like the title. I'm about to re- change it because that just, that just, like, that has certain connotations that can be positive or negative. Alpha male, alpha male, right? And, and I, I, I'm trying to create, like, like Jesus males. I'm, that's what I'm trying to create, people that really emulate and look like and live like Jesus. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. But one of the things we're doing right now is a, is a gospel unit and series trying to really teach, equip, and train them to share the gospel in as little as 15 seconds. Like sometimes you don't get 30 minutes, right, to share your, your story with somebody. Sometimes it's 15 seconds. Like, hey, um, listen, there, there was a time in my life when I was an angry uh, adolescent full of fury. But then I met Jesus when I was 13 years old, and he totally transformed my life. And he gave me as a 13-year-old like a purpose and a direction. And my life's never been the same. See what I just did in 15 seconds? It's all it took. It's it's really a, a pretty simple exercise But the gospel will transform a person's life. You meet Jesus and he will change you. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, because some of you are like, enough of Grinch, all right? Get to the real book. I I wanted to start you with the children's book to get you to the big book, okay? Children's directing you to the big book. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 8, and if you're able and would, out of respect for God's word, I want you to stand. I want, uh, would you stand with me just for, I, we like to do, I like to do this just as a way of demonstrating our respect and reverence for the word of God. I want to read this passage to you. It's really the good news of Christmas, and it's really about the, what God in purpose to do through him to bring peace with God and peace with others. Here's... Here's how I read, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. That night, 
There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You may be seated. You may be seated. The prophet Isaiah said, described Jesus in his prophecy as the prince of peace. Here's the thing, I, I'm more than anything this Christmas, my, my, my heartbeat is, and my heart is inclined toward sharing with as many people as possible that the only possibility for peace in your life is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You want peace, if you want peace, and does the world need peace? I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I've been alive for 61 years, and, and I'll just say this. I've never seen the insanity and craziness that I'm seeing right now. Right now, there's just a lot of, and the ill will, the, the agitation and irritation, the frustration, the angst of people is just so pronounced. It's really, it's really kind of scary. It's kind of scary. But it shouldn't be scary for us. Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Like the truth of the matter is, when the days are evil, it is a glorious opportunity for those of us that know Christ and have the light of Christ shining through us, as, as Matthew wrote in his gospel, let his light shine before men so that men may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It is an, an extraordinary time for us to both li live out our faith and share the gospel with people that desperately need it. Desperately. If, if you want peace with God, if you want peace with God, it only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came to do on earth what he couldn't do from heaven. Think about that for a moment. He came to do on earth what he couldn't do in heaven, and that is to live a sinless life as a human being and die a criminal's death on the cross so that you and me, so that we could be reconciled to God and have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He gave us, he gave us an all-access pass. How many of you have ever been to a special event or an occasion where you had an all-access pass? That's what I, yeah, some of you are feeling, go ahead, bow up, bow up, you know, feeling all access pass. Listen, I've only had that, I think, one time in my life, and it's because I put in a lot of effort and energy when Luis Palau, when police, uh, Luis Palau came to uh, Fresno to do uh, the, the, the celebration, right? And, and so, because I was part of the executive committee, they gave me an all access pass. All that meant is I got to go backstage and hang with all the impotent people, okay? And what I discovered really was 
it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> really, the important people went back to their trailers and they, 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 they got locked away and we really had no interaction with them. And it really did nothing for me other than to get me back behind the curtain. Here's what I want you to consider. What Jesus accomplished on earth in coming, living, dying, dying, his willingness for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, dying, gave, uh, gave you and me an all-access pass to God, into the Holy of Holies. That's why, here's the thing, I recognize, I've been a pastor for 37 years, you don't need me to get to God. I, I, am, I am unnecessary. What I'm saying is, you have Open access because of what Jesus has done. You have all access, all the access to him that I do. Can I hear an amen? Okay, that, that, should, be, that should be glorious news. You, you, don't, you don't need a human mediator. Now, that's not to say that pastor, we as pastors, including your own, Gordon, don't have a very important and particular role in the life of the church, but what I'm saying is, you don't need us beside you to sort of get special access to God. That's why I get frustrated when people always look to me like in some kind of public setting, hey, can, can you say the prayer? You know, my first thought is, why don't you say it? You, you can say it. You don't need me. I'm not, I'm not like a professional prayer. You don't, you don't need, like you can go before the throne just like I can, right? If you want peace with God. It's only found in Jesus. Paul wrote it this way. I love this passage in Romans chapter 5 verse 10. He said this, even when we were God's enemies, he made peace with us because his son died for us. Yet something greater than even friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we will be saved by his son's life. We aren't only saved from our sins, but we're saved for a purpose, right? We're saved for a purpose. You, the, the, the moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment you say yes to Jesus, you're on a path and a course to carry out the purpose for which he's placed you on this planet. And I I don't think it's too far-fetched for me to ask you this morning, do you know what that purpose is? Do you know why God has planted you here? Do you know the purpose for which you get up each morning and what your duties and responsibilities are as a follower of Jesus? We have, we have unlimited opportunities, really, to live for Him and shine for Him in these days in which we live. And I, I pray... I pray that we will. I, I have uh, a buddy of mine, um, this guy, I've, I've known him uh, since childhood. He and his family used to live right down the street from my grandparents. Uh, he, uh, I remember in the early, of all things, the early 70s, I remember going to his house, you know. I remember him stealing money from his mom's purse for the ice cream lady. I was, you know, at that time I was thankful because that meant he was buying kind of thing, you know. I, I wasn't thankful necessarily that he stole, which is a terrible thing. But, but little, little did I know, it was in some ways kind of charting the course for his life. This guy ended up, uh, ended up addicted. 
and on the streets for 10 years. This guy used to live down the street from me. I knew him and his brother and his sister. His dad was a football coach at Fresno City College. This guy was on the street for 10 years. And then wouldn't you know it, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, Jesus met him. Jesus met him on the streets. And he had a radical conversion. He just totally surrendered his life to Jesus. And he is not the same guy anymore. The the reason I'm mentioning him is because he came up to me last Sunday night. I was preaching. And he said, I I want you to hold on to something for me. So he gives me his two-year chip. He gives me his two-year chip. I've been clean and sober for two years, man. And I, you know, I, I, have you ever had somebody give you a, a sobriety chip? You know, I, I'm not even sure what to do. Like, okay, I'll put it in my pocket, right? I don't want to lose it kind of thing. But I think what he's doing, because he knows I have a passion, a shared passion, as he does, for the salvation of his mom and dad. I've been praying for his dad. His dad's just a stubborn, obstinate old dude. He's a stubborn, obstinate old dude. I hope I don't, you don't feel like I'm describing you. He's a stubborn, obstinate old dude that's been really resistant to the gospel. And so as he's handed me his two-year chip, he says, you know what, Mitch, I had the first conversation with my father in 20 years where there was no yelling. So I can tell that God is working. God is working. Just, just keep praying, man. Just keep praying. And I'm praying. If you, if you want to join me, pray for Jack. I don't need to give you a last name. Just pray. Pray for Jack. I'm praying that Jack is going to come to know the Christ of Christmas this December. Like, like I, I believe that the imperishable seed has already been planted into Jack's life multiple times. And I know that because last week he was at a funeral service I did, and just seeing him there inspired me to get, lay it on thick. Bring the gospel. I always bring the gospel because there is no other hope, right? That was the third funeral service I'd done in three weeks. I have another one this coming Saturday. Like, I've been in front of people week after week after week, different settings and contexts, but people that need hope. People that need hope. You know, it's possible when we are in Christ to grieve with hope. Even in the, 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 the tragic moment of death, we can even f- experience joy in our souls because we know, we know the end of the story, right? We know that in Christ there is hope. So to, uh, back to Dr. Zeus, listen, how, how can a soul full of garlic, a soul full of junk with a heart that's an empty whole be reconciled to God? Jesus. Um, I, I probably shouldn't even ask, but who, how many of you remember how the, the actual uh, end of the story of the, how the Grinch stole Christmas? You know the book? The book? You know how it ends? Yeah, some of you are going, why would you ask such an idiotic question, right? Because to me, it's pathetic. It's pathetic because he wrote the book so fast, except he said he couldn't figure out how to, how to uh, cl- close the ending. He should have closed the ending in Whoville. 
And when they were around the Christmas tree, right, and celebrating and, and singing, right, because that, that seemed right. But the way he ended it, the, the Grinch carved the roast beef, remember? The Grinch carved the roast beef. What in the... Who, 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 I'm sorry, who, who cares about the Grinch carving the roast beef? Nobody cares. And to me, it's part, listen, listen to what Zeus said, Theodore Geisel, he wrote, because he was asked about that. He said, I got hung up on how to get the Grinch out of the mess. I got into a a situation where I felt like I sounded like a second-rate preacher or a Bible thumper. This is, this is the- Theodore Geisel's words himself. Finally, in desperation, without making any statement whatsoever, I showed the Grinch and the Who's together at the table and made a pun on the Grinch carving the roast beef. I had gone through a thousands and thousands of religious choices, and then after three months, I came out like that. And you know, like you... I, I don't know about you, but like I'm, I'm a pastor, so I'm a shepherd. I think about people and the well-being of their soul. So you either laugh at that or you go, wow, how heartbreaking. Like I feel like God downloaded him really a beautiful story of transformation that could have had a big exclamation point ending that he couldn't get to because all he could come up with was carving the roast beef. If you want peace with God, if you want peace with God, it only can come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's that's the big point today. The second uh, supporting point is just simply this, or idea, is if you want peace with others, peace with others, Uh, that becomes beautifully possible, beautifully possible through the transforming power of Christ working through you in your relationships with others. I love, I love, uh, you know, on earth peace and goodwill toward men and women, right? Peace with God, peace with God will lead to peace with others. Paul wrote it this way, what we see is that anyone united with Jesus gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life begins. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. Jesus came to save us, to have a relationship with him, but also to have a beautifully restored relationship with other people. How many, I'll just ask, this is probably a dangerous question, how many of you have a few jacked up relationships in your family? Okay, if you're sitting with your family, don't raise your hand too tall, right, that kind of thing. But no, 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 listen, um, I, I just did a graveside service for my aunt, my, my aunt um, this past week. And I love my aunt. My aunt came to faith later in life. Uh, I don't have time to tell you the whole story about me, but I can just tell you I'm adopted. And my, I was adopted when I was a young kid. My mom and uh, biological father married and had three boys. Boom, boom, boom. 
like my two brothers are 11 months apart, and it was a bad marriage, ill-fated marriage. They weren't married very long, divorced. Then my mom remarried and was grafted in, adopted in the family. So I have this, I have like this family, I don't call it a tree, I call it a forest. I call it a forest. Okay, I have a family forest. And part of my family forest is my biological father, been married five times, and he was there at the service. There's a whole other sermon on that story, how God restored our relationship that was separated for 20 years. And he's been married 33 years to his fifth wife. They're happily married. It's a beautiful grace story. It's just awesome, right? But there is so much uh, uh, dysfunction in that sort of stream, you know, in that, that field. Anybody, can anybody, like, you got, maybe you got one branch that's just like all over the map or kind of thing. And I just saw it evidenced as I was at the cemetery because I'm seeing cousins and stuff. I don't even know. I know them by face. I, I know very little about their stories. But there's just this relational, like, friction. I'm looking at one of my, like, like how come you didn't talk to your mom for the last 23 years? You, you know, those kind of, I think those are fair questions. That, like, I don't believe that's how God designed us to enjoy relationships. When, we, when we're restored to Him, He can restore any relationship. Any relationship. And uh, w- what I learned is, you know what? There has to be receptivity. There has to be, there has to be uh, work. There has to be uh, a willingness, even when we're in Christ, to be a reconciler, right? He gave to us, Paul said, the ministry of reconciliation. And it starts in our own homes. Neighborhood, next door neighbor. My next door neighbor uh, is brand new. He's been he lived next door to me for six weeks, and he came to our house for Thanksgiving at our invitation. It's, it's awesome. This is an awesome thing. I want you to pray for Brian too. Pray for Jack. Pray for Brian, my next door neighbor. Just moved, Oregon, single dad, two kids. It's 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 perfect. His kids are same age as my older grandkids. They haven't had playmates and friends for a long time, I can tell, right? So they just want to, they come, like ring the door. They're knocking on the door like anybody here, you know, kind of thing. It's awesome, right? And part of, part of what I'm eager to see is how God works in my next door neighbor. You know, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, it's your near one. The, the person that moved in next door to me, I'm excited to see Brian and Cooper and Jackson, his two sons. I believe all three of them are going to come to faith in Jesus. Why? Because I know Jesus, and Brian's, I've made a connection with Brian, and he love, he's the same age, really, as my adult kids, and there's good connection there. The kids come over anytime they, they can. They're ringing the doorbell. They're ringing the doorbell. They're ringing the doorbell. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, uh, my grandkids aren't here. I'm sorry. If you want to play with me, I'll play with you for a little bit in the front lawn, but Why am I pressing into this? I'm pressing into this because your pastor was eager to come and share a message with you this morning. And I know why. I know why. Because he wants RVC, the church family called RVC, to be messengers this December. To be alert and available, on call, like for any person that God intersects in your life or has already intersected your life with. Why? 
Because if you know Jesus, you know peace. And if you know the peace of God that comes through Jesus Christ, then you should be a peacemaker. You should be one who is alert and ready to be part of that reconciling ministry and minister out in the world. And I'm more uh, convinced than ever um, that that the, the world is... The world is chaotic. The world is in desperate need of the Savior that many of us know, right? And um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, how many, can, can I just ask, do, do we have some grandparents in, in the house? You have some grandparents, okay? Like, I'll just say this, man. Uh, I'm not embarrassed at all. Like, I am just giddy about my seven grandkids, man. I, it doesn't. People don't ask to see pictures. I get my phone out, and I'm, I'm like in their face, right, kind of thing. I'm just obnoxious with, with my grandkids because I just, I love, I, I love my grand, I love each one of them in special ways, and we spend a lot of time with our grandkids. But here's the thing. It, it occurred to me the other day, why am I not nearly as eager to show people or introduce, introduce people to Jesus as I am to show them pictures of my grandkid. Right? I mean, Jesus changed my life. Long before the grandkids came along, Jesus changed my life in 1973. He gave me new life in him. And then somehow, in this strange and miraculous way, he called me into ministry to lead in the life of the church, which I still to this day am in awe of. That It's just a, a reverent, uh, holy fear that I have, God, that you would invite me to participate in what you're doing in, in the life of the church and through the church, right? And that's why when I got that text from Gordon, I'm like, let's go, man. It's go time. It's go time because I want it to be go time for you. And I know Gordon wants it to be go time for you because this is a season of opportunity for us. This is a season where we have a message, unlike the Starbucks cup, okay? No message, and we got to keep Christ out of everything, right? But listen, I could care less about people's marketing or lack thereof or whatever. I don't care. Like, what I want to care about is what I have influence over, and that is I can be a Christ carrier everywhere I go, and so can you. So here's how I'd like to close, and I'll invite the, uh, uh, Daniel and Daniel back up. Um, oh, excuse me, Fuego. Fuego and Daniel. Uh, I, I just want to encourage you with this. Um, one of the verses that was life-changing for me is 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this, this is, a, John wrote, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I write these things to those of you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. You may know. And here's how I, I feel every time when I stand up to preach or teach. I just want everyone that's listening to me to know Jesus. 
And what I've learned from John is it is possible to know with absolute assurance to know that you are saved. And it's through believing and receiving Jesus. For me, it happened in 1973, along with my two brothers. We were at Westmont College. We went out beside a big rock next to the cafeteria. I'll never forget this moment as long as I live. Three boys, 12, 13, 14. We bent down, like he told us to get down on your knees as a sign of reverence. And I want you to pray a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. Changed our lives. He can change your life. Paul wrote Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'd like... I'd like to, if you would, just um, trust me in this. If you just close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want you to, however you enter into maybe a prayerful kind of sacred space. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to to extend an invitation. It's possible there's someone here this morning that has not yet come into uh, a vibrant, thriving relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And here's what I want to say to you. It's a simple thing. It's not a complicated thing. You could pray a simple prayer like this in the quietness of your soul. You could just say, God, I need you. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. I invite you into my life. I'm going to stop going my way. I'm going to start running toward you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, if that was the uh, heart's prayer of any person in this room, my prayer is that they will acknowledge that by taking that uh, uh, card, that uh, newcomer's card, that card that they got on their chair, Lord, and filling it out and, 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 and Xing the box, I commit my life to Christ. Like, like, like I, I want help in this journey. Because I know this is a church, Lord, that's eager to draw people into a deeper walk with Jesus. So have your way in the life of RVC Church, Lord, uh, in this season. And as I prayed earlier, we are trusting and believing that you're going to bring Pastor Gordon to full recovery and health, even this week and even this day. And I pray that this would be a beautiful season of impact, gospel impact, in the life of RVC. In Jesus' name, amen.